Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Hard Enduro channel. I'm sitting down today via phone with Adam Giles. Adam competed in round one of the Hard Enduro Championship up at Tannerfield in gold class, which he actually took out the win there. So congratulations, Adam, and welcome to the Hard Enduro channel. Uh, thanks, Greg. It's um, good to talk to you. Thanks for being on it, mate. So I just want to go back into your, your history, if, if that's all right, Adam, if you've got the time to do that. I'd like to find out more about you. And I know there's a few people who have they've contacted me and asked if I was going to do an interview with you, and they, they're keen to learn about your history as well and how you became to uh, get to where you are now, riding into hard enduro. And I did a little bit of a, a stalk on the internet, and um, you started riding fairly young by the look of it, and went on and did some AORCs and some motocross in the earlier days. What what age did you start riding? Oh, it was it was pretty early. It would have been would have been remember back it's been a while. Um I didn't race for a, a, a long time though. Um but I would say it would have been at five and six on a fifty doing what all kids do I guess you say, just cruising around the paddocks and having fun. Did you live on property at all? Um to and fro we moved a lot as kids, so we'd go from property to townhouse to a bit more property townhouse. But, you know, we're pretty lucky up here in Queensland. We have a, um, a trail ride series, which is um, pretty well known, I guess, in Queensland, which caters for all levels of riders. So over a weekend and stuff, Dad would go out there and do the senior loops, and then me and my brother would be out there on 50s and 80s on the kids' track. So. Well, do your brother still ride, does he? Or? Um, no, he broke his back going back a few years now and that sort of defined it for him yeah fair enough I guess he, he was never never safe him to get back on a bike yeah ouch yeah no that's, that's a bit of bad luck isn't it that's one of those risks we all take unfortunately isn't it yeah that's right yeah, yeah. and what, what age did you start racing at it would have been about 13 so still fairly young but um, not I guess young as it comes to in motocross age these days I guess but yeah it wasn't wasn't overly young. What bike were you on when you first started racing MX? Oh, would have been a KX80, I dare say. Okay, I'm, going, I'm not going back a bit too far, mate. <laughs> no, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so you went, you did motocross. Did you do that for long? You did it for a few years, or? No, well, I, I started in obviously in general motocross at the same time. So we'd race in. Um, club days in motocross and then and race like a Queensland series in Juros, like a sprint championship like that. But um oh, that would have been started once I started doing that. You know, the following year you just do another series of races and then the following year you'd add another series and then, you know, into AORCs and then basically you're doing everything that you could in Australia and Queensland, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh did you stay stick with motocross racing for long or do you still race any motocross? Oh, I did it Oh, bits and pieces just for speed stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't say, like, I enjoy the thrill of it, but I wouldn't say I overly enjoy the fastness of it. Like, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that probably prefer to be on a stopwatch than around 40 people that want to hurt you. Yeah, you know can imagine. Yeah, it's pretty, I, I've never raced motocross, but just watching the blokes up at the track, it's, uh, yeah, not something I'd want to participate in, that's for sure. That's a yeah, unique sport. Uh, and, and so you've, you've sort of got away from the motocross scene and sort of targeted the enduro scene, and uh, I know you've done a couple of AORC rounds, is that right? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a couple of AORC rounds, 
Yeah, so I start, would have been, I started racing AIC probably would have been about 15, 16 or something mm-hmm. um, in junior. So uh, once I'd obviously done one, we as a family we travelled to the whole series throughout Australia and the next year, next year the whole series. And um, yeah, that was pretty much it. That was the goal. We raced all the Australian rounds for, would have been, until I was about 18 or 19. Yeah, do you have much success in, the, in those? Yeah, so I, oh, it was obviously injury plague a lot, but I, I think I ended up fourth overall a couple of times in the junior stuff, and I got a lot of top ten outrights and stuff in the seniors. Yeah, nice. Um, but, yeah, I, it's one of those things where you've you got to enjoy the fast pace, and, and in Australia at the time, it was just going from enduro to basically motocross through trees, and I really started to just not just not enjoy it. Yeah, fair enough. Really? Yeah, so that, that's I guess yeah. that leads you into uh, into taking on hard enduro where it's a bit slower and technical. Yeah, pretty much. Basically, yeah, I, I always excelled when we got to to the harder tracks that had basically had had a bobcat driven around them. And um, uh, yeah, it would have been two thousand and fourteen. I got asked to go up and um, assist Chris Birch at a coaching school. And um, yeah, after, basically after that. I sort of got to know Chris fairly well and, um, you know, sort of followed him. I thought this is pretty cool. And then he, uh, and I think it would have been a year or two, a couple of years after that, he invited me over to um, one of Sean Clark's hard endurance over there. And I went and done one. I was, that was it, basically. I'm like, screw racing fast. I just want to do this. <laughs> and you're hooked. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was like, well, it was something, something, if you know what I mean, different and interesting because you just after racing for so long like that like just the off-road scene and motocross stuff I, I kind of got bored with it yeah, so it was just something, something different to go with yeah fair enough are you not bored of hard enduro uh, yet I'd imagine no the good thing is there's so many different like almost disciplines in hard enduro like every different round's different like when it comes to the wares like there's not two races it's the same format so it, it kind of it keeps it interesting like Yep. Yeah, it's not like you're doing the same sprint or cross-country format all year round. It's constantly different. Yeah, nice. When you went over to New Zealand, was that the um, the Husqvarna Hard Enduro that, that Sean Clark puts on? Yeah, yeah. It was the very first first one he ran. It would have been in 2016. It was it's just a mini Romaniacs, basically. It was like a, a prologue in, in um, Tokoroa, I think, on Friday afternoon, and then two off-road days. Isn't he? Like, isn't he? Sorry, mate. I butted in there. No, you're right. I was going to say, isn't Sean Clark a special rider? Oh, he's the man of men, that guy. Like, if if Sean speaks, you just stop and listen. He just. <laughs> I think he's over anything. fifty. I think Sean's over fifty now, and he was, he did Romaniacs. I think it was, was it this year. I think he might have done it. Oh, sorry, last year, two thousand and nineteen. Yeah, well, as far as I know, he's done nine or ten Romaniacs now. Yeah, crazy. Um. Yeah, like he's. Um, if you look back through the results back into the early years, um, he's finished gold class and he's actually podiumed in silver. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's just, but, he's like the Graham Jarvis of, uh, of New Zealand, really, isn't he? But look, we digress. Um, 2016, Husqvarna Hard Enduro. I, I think you came first in silver class there. Would that be right? That would be right. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, nice one. So that was a good introduction and. Uh, Bertie looked after you over there and, yeah, he took, took away a win in silver. That's pretty impressive. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Well, sort of Chris Bertie, he's, he's kind of good help in that sense. Like, what I thought was right here, he was like, no, this is not, you're going to have to do this. This is just how it is. And 
I guess you shut up and listen to him and it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a great coach, Chris. We've done a couple of coaching lessons myself, or well, not myself, but uh, my son has Ryan, and um, Chris is he's just as good as a coach as he is a writer. He's really, really good at explaining how to do things and why you should do it a certain way, so it all makes sense with you, or for you, I should say. Yeah, yeah, he's really, really good at putting, putting um, I guess, technique into words, which is yeah. a great asset to have as a coach. Yeah, exactly right. Moving forward, uh, you've done. You went to Romaniacs and you did, did uh, Romani- Red Bull Romaniacs in 2017 in silver class, and I think you finished around 25th or something. But you had some mechanical issues that year, didn't you? Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was. I was doing all right. I was inside the top ten, and then day three, I remember I probably got to the, got to the furthest point I could get from the service point, and. Uh, the beta decided it had enough, so yeah. Oh, that was, yeah, actually, that was me. I sat and sat in a bush for for a while, so yeah. Yeah, I do remember that one now. Actually, you, you mentioned that. Yeah. Anyway, that's the way it is. That's a, that's racing sometimes, isn't it? You know, if, if your body doesn't fail, sometimes the bike will fail. Unfortunately. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, no matter what you're on over there, everyone's the same. You know. <laughs> Yeah, only yeah. takes one rock in the wrong spot, and it's race over. Exactly right. Two thousand eighteen, you, you went, and, you went back and did the Husqvarna Hard Enduro New Zealand again. Yeah, it was a. I went to. It was a different one. So it was a Husqvarna Enduro Hard Enduro Cross. So it was um, rather than the GPS format, it was actually a four-hour cross country. Right. In the um, in the same area around that Tokoroa Road Route area where um, where Sean's from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a pretty awesome event as well. Your results show you came fifth in pro class. Yeah, which was kind of cool, and I, I literally rolled over there on the Friday afternoon to Chris um, lent me a dead bog stock 250 EXCF. Um, we let the air out of the tyres, moved the handlebars, and um, yeah, it took me the first two hours to figure out how to ride it. But other than that, it was sweet. <laughs> uh, nice one, mate, nice one. So what sort of training uh, have you done, and have you always trained pretty hard? Have you just taken up training? Like, When, when did it get serious for you? Well, it was pretty serious back in my early years, years when I was like 17, 18. Um, I always had personal trainers and stuff because um, I was obviously racing back then. I, was, I think I was graded to pro when I was 16 or 17 or something. Yep. Um, through mostly Australia. But then um, started doing my own sort of training from what I'd learned. Um, pretty hard. Like, I'm always an active person anyway. Like, I'm into really sort of into my mountain biking and anything, anything physical. So it... Uh, generally just a fit person i think without training too hard but yeah what about diet um, do you, you, you sort out your own diet and that sort of thing or did you, did you have professional advice there as well um in the early days yes but now if it's, if it's you sort of it's, it's hard the diet thing's really hard especially for i guess amateur athletes if you want to say because there's so much much stuff around the internet with what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad and um Unless, you, unless you, even if you go to different dietitians and stuff, they've all got a different story. So it's kind of, I guess, you growing up and just anyone sort of knows their body and, and what foods they like, like and don't like, and I guess what they get energy from and, and feel lethargic from eating and not eating. So they, you sort of just learn, I guess, yourself. And I guess that's what I've done is just over the time I've, I've figured out what to eat and not eat that I like and it doesn't, you know, affect me. Uh, right and stuff like that. I guess it's sort of self-found. 
What about when you're um, when you're actually uh, say leading up to a race a day or two when you're leading up to the race? Do you have any anything particular there you'll concentrate on? Yeah, well, we as of this year we changed a, a little bit. Um, everyone's probably seen that whole game changer vegan thing getting around, but um, so me and my partner decided we'd change and went vegan there for a while. And um, we've toyed with it. But even now, coming up to, like, events, obviously we have had no events this year, but um, we've sort of had dummy run training days where from basically Wednesday on we stay away from meat, um, which, as we believe it or not, like, you know, everyone's different, but it, <laughs> it's definitely helped me. So, What's the theory behind that, staying away from the meat? Is it because it's hard to digest or uses too much energy to digest? or um, Not basically that. So, how the 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 that you the the all the supplements we get from meat is only from what from what basically the cow eats. So it's just being filtered through the animal that it's from, whether it be chicken, fish, beef, um, and then we get it. So basically, the 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 protein being the animal is just the middleman. So if you if you forget forget the meat, and we can get the same of what we can out of the meat by out of all the plant based stuff before it goes through the animal. So yeah, yeah. In, a, in a lot pure form. So what about why you're actually racing? Do you use supplements in your backpack, or do you eat, eat sort of have a special diet while you're racing? I guess you're not obviously not sitting down to eat a steak sandwich, but do you concentrate on <laughs> and sticking you know a muesli bar or something in your backpack to something to eat on the trail? Yeah, i uh, I um, it's a hard one because obviously everyone gets nervous, and I really like eating. <laughs> generally, but I, I force myself to eat. But um, just for instance, at Tannerfield, from the moment I started to the moment I finished, I'd, I've had one camelback and nothing to eat in the four hours. But obviously, in a longer event like Romaniacs or something, you'd obviously try and throw in a banana or even if you had some sort of protein bar or something, you could eat while you're going along. Normally, just to keep some form of energy there. I think the biggest thing with that, um, the before and after, like if you... During the day, yeah, you got to keep enough to keep energy, but it's really what you do before and what you do after for the next day is, is I think, where it counts. Yeah, that makes sense. Food. Yeah, you have a little, the recovery period's very important, isn't it? Especially if you're doing Romaniacs full days in a row, it, uh, it's a pretty tough event. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you find it difficult to eat after a, um, after a really big day at Romaniacs? I guess I'm referring really to probably 2018 because that's probably been one of the toughest year Romaniacs has put, ever put on because of all the rain they had. Um, yeah. So after the long days, did you actually struggle to eat anything? No, I don't. The moment it's over, I basically all what I haven't eaten through the day just comes to me in um, cravings, I guess. So the moment I finish, I'll put anything in front of me, I'll eat it. So I'm lucky like that, I guess. Now, race light, Romaniacs. What about psychology? You're going to have a mental, a physical and a mental battle out on the trails. Have, yeah. Have you ever, ever mentally hit the wall? Um. Yeah, that's a hard one, like. The mental side of racing is definitely something that gets overlooked um, because, as far as I'm concerned, 80% of what we do is in your head. Um, but, yeah, not of recently. I know the very first Romaniacs I did in 2017, like the first Romaniacs anyone does is always an eye-opener, and I'm, I'm pretty sure there, I, probably day four, I had a dummy spit and maybe even a bit of a cry and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but, yeah, once you, I guess training yourself to be comfortable comfortable being uncomfortable, if that makes sense. No, look, it, it definitely is. I imagine that will come across um, in a lot of former sports. 
where you, you, you're, you're, you're breaking your body down, you're pushing it to the absolute limits over time, and you know you've got another 60 k's of hell in front of you, and you already spent. Well, if you, if you don't beat it mentally, you're not going to finish it all, are you? So you really need to work on that. And the more you yeah, do, it, the more yeah, you do it, right. the stronger you get, really. And that's one thing, just knowing the kilometres. Like I'm always bad for wanting to know where I am throughout the day. So like, oh, I've done, you know, 30 k's. I've got 40 k's left. But one thing I've, I've really worked on is just forgetting about it. Like I start the race when I get to the finish line. That's when it's over. Like you just basically forget about it in between, and uh, it actually helps, believe it or not, rather than trying to figure out where you are and count down. I guess. I guess it's like being at work for any. I mean, I used to work work in an office for years, and I used to sit there and watch the clock and the days used to take twenty four hours instead of eight, um, rather than just yeah, getting, rather than right. just knuckling down and getting on with the day. And before you know it, the day's over. It's a similar sort of situation. I'd, I'd imagine psychologically, you know, psychologically, anyway. Yeah, and while you're doing that, while you're, you're oh, trying to figure out how far I am and how long I've got, you're not actually focusing on what you're supposed to be doing. So mm-hmm. <laughs> take that away and it kind of takes one thing out of your mind that you don't need that leaves the room for the rest, I think. What's your plans for the future? Do you, do you, are you hoping to sort of improve on your ride and, and possibly go back over to Europe again and concentrate on riding over there? Or Oh, I guess everyone's always looking to improve their riding, but it's it's such a hard scene like I from what I did last year I sort of went over there to scope out I guess to see if it was something I, I, I could want to do and could I could handle and that sort of thing so I um, I talked to Mark from Eurotech and for this year which is obviously screwed but um, so I got a bike with Eurotech which uh, Mark will take to all the races for me and I I'm basically <clears throat> any of the WES rounds I can do and want to do I'm just going to basically go to and fro so yeah, yeah I, I, this year I, I did plan on going back over there to do four, five, six, whatever rounds I could of the um, the wares to basically see what I could do and how far I could go with it. Because obviously with Eurotech, you start at the bottom and then um, the better you get, the more support you can get for everything over there, I guess. Yeah, natural progression really, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. 2018, you did Wildwood uh, Extreme Enduro in pro class, and you finished 11th there. Are you plan on doing another Wildwood again in the future? Oh, definitely. Um, it was a bit of a that year was a bit of a last minute decision. So after I come back from Romania, and at Romania, I, I was really lethargic and having a few health, health problems, and it um, turned out that I was iron deficient, deficient, um, like really bad to the to the point where I was needing blood transfusions. Wow. And um, so I shouldn't have even went to Wildwood that year, but, you know, as humans and <laughs> I guess a racer, I'm like, no, I'm going to go. So I probably almost did myself more harm trying to go there and race than actually um, just stay home. But, yeah, I wasn't prepared for it then, but definitely, like, if I – I would have ideally loved to do it last year, but I was in a situation between bikes and didn't have a bike to ride. And, um, but obviously if it's on this year, if all this stuff goes away, definitely if I'm not – overseas doing something else I'll definitely be there so yeah now, did your iron deficiency do you think when you stop eating meat do you think that had any role in it or that didn't coincide no no definitely not believe it or not you get um, more iron from vegetables than you do from meat the right diet so there's two types of iron obviously the iron you get from vegetables and iron you get from meat and obviously the one from you get from meat is uh, the only one that your body can naturally absorb, but you can take supplements and obviously vitamin C, so even just a good orange juice allows your body to absorb the iron out of vegetables and um, plant-based stuff. So, yeah, no, no, it doesn't. It's the same with anyone you see that's, I guess, 
vegetarian, everyone goes, how do you not, you know, have all these deficiencies? Because they don't, I guess it's, it's yeah, it's, uh, there's a big myth around it. Like if anyone looks into it, you'll sort of open your eyes up to you. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, it's, oh. it's like anything yeah. on the internet, isn't it? I mean, if you Google, um, will I suffer from iron deficiency if I turn vegetarian, you'll get the answer yes. And if you Google, um, I, I, you know, will I not suffer? The answer will be yes. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to decipher between the truth and, and the fake news, as Donald Trump would put it, I guess. Oh, yeah, old Dr. Google. Everyone That's it, mate. Hell away from that. <laughs> exactly, exactly <laughs> right. Um, Extreme Lagaras, 2019, you went over there and you, and you finished that. I think you finished in, uh, in 10th position in pro class. Yes. What, what was that like? That event looks absolutely awesome from what I've seen of it on YouTube. Yeah, uh, Lagares, Portuguese fans are nuts. There's no other way to put it. Like, atmosphere-wise, that is probably the best race I reckon you could almost do. Um in Europe, uh, the the enduro cross on the Friday. I think it's Friday, so I don't even know what day it is when you're over there. Um, it's awesome. There's, there's that many people. Like it comes to the finals of the night time, and it's just packed. Like you can't even hear your bike over people screaming, and it's just it's so much fun. You just like you literally pull up and you're just like, oh, I want to just go again. Like, you have another race. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what, what about Prologue? Prologue, you're going up all those really big steep stairs and uh, um, the floating pontoons, aren't you? Oh, yeah, and I tell you what, they, those stairs in the in the city of Porto are a hell of a lot steeper than they look in uh, magazines and videos. We went and walked the track, you know, a couple of hours before, and I was, like, literally walking up going, there's no way I'm getting a bike up here. Like, Wow. You've got to be, you've got to be kidding me. But it's kind of weird. You get on a bike and it all just goes away, and you're like, oh, oh it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, that... that that prologue in, in Porto is next level, like the coolest thing. Like anyone wants to go and do a round over there, I would suggest do that one just for the atmosphere and like what it is. Wouldn't that be nice it's, to get um, something yeah. like that set up in Australia, right? Oh, we got too many rules in Australia. It never happened. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, too many people whinge. Uh, anyway, that's the way it is, unfortunately. What about the race itself? I think I read somewhere you're sitting at the bottom of a waterfall and just thought, how in the hell am I going to get up this? And I don't know, I, just from the videos I've seen, there's water pouring down everywhere and it's you know, crazy deep holes to fall into. Yeah, it's that was a shock to the system. I've literally never ridden anything that hard in my entire life. Um, yeah, that nearly broke me. Like, I remember sitting, oh, it was down a river and the water, you're sitting in water that's almost up to your knees and there's just like a, a pallet bridge going up, I, I swear to God, it'd be like about 15 metre high rock ledge and there's like water trickling over the edge and I'm just sitting there looking like, nah, this is it, this is done, I'm I, I'm not cut out for this, I'm going home. But once you, you stop for a second and think about it and you're like, oh, well, there's no other way out and you sort of, yeah, you just get over that mental part but, and, and get going. And you're like, oh, it's not so bad. But, yeah, it's definitely definitely a lot trickier than it looks. Um, Photos and videos never, ever do uh, do terrain justice, do they? I mean, I, I know I've gone to upload some videos of nasty stuff that we've done and I'll look at it on the computer and I'll think... Where's that? I just it does, sometimes you don't even recognise it because it might look like it's downhill, but it's actually a really nasty uphill, and it kind of it all just everything goes out of perspective. It doesn't doesn't show truly what it's like. Yeah, it kind of sucks. Makes social media life hard. Yeah, yeah, should just yeah, ignore it all and go on. Anyway, keep riding. But anyway, look, you had um, <laughs> yeah, there was a hundred riders uh, that went at expert, and a twenty four finished, and you finished in tenth position. So that gives an indication of how difficult the train must have been. Uh, yeah. 
But uh, well done yeah. for doing doing that. You got if you can go back again in twenty twenty one, you're gonna hit that race up again. Oh, definitely. I'm like I'm entered for twenty twenty, and obviously entry still still stands. It's um it's been um, postponed until October, I think, sometime um, at the moment, which probably won't happen. But um, it's there. But yeah, definitely. So I'm still got an entry in it. So if it's not this year, it'll be next year. I tell you definitely. what. If all the races that have been postponed to October go ahead worldwide, you'll have about 35,000 events you can choose from. <laughs> no, it will be good, actually, because I'll be able to fly over to Europe and do the entire Wes series in a month and a half. <laughs> Cheap way to do it if the body can handle it. Yeah, that's right. We'll just go weekend for weekend to country to country. It'll be sweet. <laughs> Since such everything is postponed, if, if the European or Wes series don't go ahead, would you come around and do the... Do, do what you can get to at the uh, grassroots enduro events, the Australian Hard Enduro Championship? Oh, definitely. Like, uh, any race I can do at the moment, I'll do. Like, um, I plan on this year doing as many of the grassroots as I, I could that didn't clash type thing. But, yeah, no, nah, definitely. The moment you guys have the next one, I'll be there. <laughs> uh, nice one. Do you struggle with any ongoing injuries? I think I read yeah. somewhere you had a car accident when you were younger and, and it had injured your foot or your leg. Yeah, I was in when I was. I would have been nineteen. I had a, uh, a pretty bad car accident, um, and uh, yeah, I, I did. My my bottom half of my body was messed up pretty bad. So, I, in um, basically, make a, a, a short story long. I had a uh, a head-on collision, and I was in an, an old high ace and. Um, an old lady pulled over onto my side of the road. Oh, no. Um, in the rain, and as you can imagine, the whole my whole bottom half took the, basically the entire force of her car. Wow. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what number of bones I broke, but I, ba- I had my ankle basically reconstructed. I um, shattered that. Uh, my femur, I remember waking up and looking down, and I seen my femur. The bone was looking at me, which wasn't real nice. No, I can imagine. Uh, yeah, and obviously it's a pretty big thing. I was originally never meant to get on a bike ever again. So that's how bad it was. I spent a lot of time in a wheelchair and a lot of time in rehab. and um, I didn't ride for so long, but I, um, I, I'm lucky enough that um, some friends put me onto a really good sports orthopedic surgeon. Um, with prior injuries before that and he's just basically said to me like if it's what you want to do we can do it so well done you for overcoming that mate I know that would have been an absolute mental a mental mountain to get over that one. Oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's a whole other part of it but yeah like it's um it changes your life like it yeah I basically lost 12 months of my life like I yeah, it's, it's all a bit of a blur, but it's pretty wild times, but yeah. No ongoing issues with that at all? Does it give you any grief? Yeah, so I only have, believe it or not, um, about 40% movement in my right ankle, <laughs> which isn't ideal, but anyone that actually knows me, me from my racing days, I I have a real bad back brake squeak, and um, on an eight-minute sprint lap, I'll cook an entire set of brake pads, um, melt the brake pad sideways, and bend the caliper out. Right, drag, <laughs> dragging the foot down there. Yeah, yeah, and we've we've tried everything. Like I've had so many guys help me. Where you, we um, even this part of the, the, the plunger in the back brake, you cut the tip of that off, so the back brake basically almost goes down past the bottom of the case before it works. It still didn't help. Crikey, <laughs> but, oh, um, oh. 
Yeah, and plus I had I had uh, a lot of nerve issues in my feet because obviously my my feet were shattered and nerves got cut and weird. And that's uh, actually I come back from last year and uh, in early December actually had one of them, had one of them fixed, which is pretty awesome. So it's still carrying on, but yeah, one thing you get over. No, that's it, mate. You just got to roll on and move, but it certainly doesn't show in your results. You're riding bloody well. When we're up at Tennerfield racing, I can certainly see you still you absolutely love racing. The biggest smile on your face before the race was starting, and you're like you're like a kid full of red frogs, mate. <laughs> you're bouncing around all over the place, or oh, couldn't wait. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like it's just one of those things. I guess I am still like a kid. Like I just get excited over getting new handlebar grips and stuff like that. I guess I'm a simple person, but yeah, like. I'm just lucky I've found something that keeps me that happy. No matter how bad the world is, I'm still stoked. Like, I've still got my bikes. I can go to races and there's good people. Like, sweet. And, mate, what an awesome crowd to be involved with, the Enduro crowd. Everyone's so bloody helpful. I mean, up at Tannerfield, where the neighbours come around and, and, and the property owners rent the barbecue, and that, that was a big commitment. You know, they're there at 5.30 in the morning all the way through to dark in the evening, and... Uh, uh, you know, locals offering land and help in any way they could possibly possibly assist and uh, and the, you know the riders are all great and everybody who turns up with the riders are good it's an awesome crowd to be involved with I'm thinking we're really lucky to have people like that now some bloke came up to me and he'd, he'd done a clutch pack and someone else overheard it and said yeah I've got one use it sort me out later so the crowds are certainly generous and uh, forgiving people that's for sure oh yeah and that's believe it or not I reckon that's why 50% of the people go is because the atmosphere and you know go and have a yarn and a drink with their mates and go and destroy themselves and talk about it for the next couple of months. You know what I mean? It's, it's awesome. I've noticed you've taken up some off-road coaching or hard enduro coaching. How's that working out for you? Yeah, no, really good. So I used to do, just after I had my car accident, I did a, that, I got into coaching then and did a lot of coaching. Right. Um, and I sort of just let it go by the wayside. And, um, yeah, we sort of sat down and we thought, I had actually had a few people while I was overseas saying, you know, would you be interested in doing some coaching when you can't? Home. I'm like, well, why not get into it? Like, we don't, we have coaches for enduro and motocross and trials, but no one really does hard enduro, I guess, other than like Tim Coleman. Yeah, um, that's right. And and obviously he's a million miles away from Queensland, so um, yeah. So we thought, well, why not try something different? And, and yeah, the what what we've come back with with is great. Like, there's that many people that are interested and want to come along and they want to learn. Like, whether it just be trail rider people wanting to learn how to jump a log properly to you know people that i guess could potentially be the next jarvis so yeah, yeah that's really fan- good that's fantastic I, I do know a rider who attended one of your classes and i i said to him what did you think of it and be honest and he came, he came back and said mate absolutely loved it he goes it was awesome he, he learned so much he didn't he couldn't obviously do everything on a day but he said i've got so much side of my head now um i, I can keep going yeah he really enjoyed it so you're obviously doing something right there mate Oh, that's the thing. Like, especially with coaching, people need to realise just what you learn on the day. It's like not like it's over. Like, remember it, write it down, take it away, and just keep doing it. Like, you haven't just got to do it in that day. So that's yeah. a big thing, I guess. What um, we touched on training before. Um, do, do you ride much? Do you ride throughout the week? Yeah. So I sort of have a really a, a busy schedule, I guess, between work and um, training. So I've taken on my own training. So. I um, had a really good uh, personal trainer, I guess, um, last year in Levi at 547 Sports Front, but he's two hours away from me, so I've started doing it all myself just this year to try and, I guess, make it easier. But, yeah, so throughout the week, I, I have basically a pan where I'm like off-bike gym stuff, 
mountain bike trials, riding. So I generally, in a five-day week, working week, I'll rock, ride like my big bike, my 300, twice a week, trials like once, mountain bike once, two gym sessions, and normally a run in there as well. So in, in, in between going to work. <laughs> You've definitely got a full schedule. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely full. There's not a lot of time. I basically walk in the house, eat have a shower and go to sleep. <laughs> uh, nice one, mate. That's what it takes, though, isn't it? It takes a lot of commitment if you want to be up the pointy end of any race, I think. Oh, that's right. And I guess you've got to love the process of it. Like, if, it, if you didn't enjoy it, you wouldn't do it. But I kind of I, I love trying to figure out tiny little ways to make something slightly better. It's kind of, like, intrigues me. So, Have you done any trials bike riding? Not really. So where the trials thing come about for me, when I uh, half of my back when I have a car accident, I couldn't walk probably and when I started walking and learning to walk again I couldn't balance on a push bike so the local bike shop which I um, rode for at the time lent me a trials like try and learn how to get some balance and um, I love that and so on and so forth that sort of went away and then after I went over to New Zealand and, and seen what that was about and had the shit scared out of me and figured oh well I need to work something so I actually went and bought a trial a trials bike for myself and um, yeah so I guess just play on it, talking to the trials guys and them teaching me different things and telling me how to do things. I've never, I think I've done one trials event in my life, but... Um, How'd you go? Yeah. Uh, I got, well, I got second overall, but um, trials isn't, I guess, very big in Queensland, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna, no, you're not going to tell us only three people turned up, are you? No, no. I, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you how many were there, but it's just... Yeah, like just from what we do with hard enduro, like I rolled up there and I, I was just like the the newbie and I'm like, oh, what what do I do? And they're like, oh, you just want to ride the white line and do this. And we're sitting there watching the section, me and Benny, my girlfriend, and I'm like, I'm like seriously, I can do this shit on my, my normal bike. <laughs> and I said, to, I said to the like the marshal there, I'm like, can I just um, ride the same line as these guys? He's like, yeah, you can. So um, I did. Obviously, I didn't do it with anywhere near as finesse as those guys, I guess you could say. But um, I got through it. Yeah, believe it or not. Um, the first lap, I think I won. And the second lap, I've touched the ground a few too many times. So, <laughs> yeah. But it's something. You know, I mean, it's doing what we do, racing. And, like, I'd love to do a lot more trials. But it comes down to entries, money, travelling. We're always here. Yeah, fair enough. You, I don't you, get a chance to do it. You did, does um, did your girlfriend, Benny, do you ride with her during the weeks? Um, her working hours are a lot different. So generally, uh, five day working week, um, we don't really we get to ride and sleep together, and that's about it. Yeah. Um, but on the weekends, I'd basically drag her everywhere with me. So I'll have I'll have a setup for say Saturday will be a big day for me, and she's I guess you could call her the water boy or water girl. Where she we've made her easier lines around stuff, and she basically does what I do, and then she's just around in case I try to die or get stuck or have a bike on top of me. And then Sunday's her day. Whatever she wants, whatever she wants to do, we do. Ride. She wants to go to the beach. That's what we do. Good teamwork, well, to see. She's quite a good rider too. I was watching her at uh, at Tenerfield, and I think she smashed out. I think it was three laps from memory as well. Yeah, yeah, she did in the bronze. So yeah, but she's she's a bit of a silent achiever as well. She comes from a pretty successful, I guess, motorbike family um, herself. Old Dickie Nelson, her old man, spent um, a lot of time in Europe racing. Um, done, I don't know how many six days. Think about ten four days, yeah. So wow, it was it was in her blood, and then I just got hold of her and tweaked her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice one. So, what are your plans for the rest of year? The coronavirus buggers off, mate. We can get back on the bikes. Yeah, you're going to bugger off to Europe if, if they reopen there and hit Romaniacs up. I don't know, you know, what's going to go on over there. I mean, 
Erzberg's already finished. We well, did Erzberg before too, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've done that last year, so yeah. How'd you go, Nat? Um, shit. Um, <laughs> what happened? Let's put it nicely. Oh, it's just the the prologue. So I last year was my first year, so they just give you a random prologue number. Um, I, I think it was up four hundred something or close to four hundred, and you just you're starting with God knows who. Like each run up the prologue track, you're catching five, six, seven people. Yeah. Um, and obviously when you look at your time, it's, you drop ten seconds and you drop like sixty places or something. So. Yeah, that's what hit me. I mean, I think I started on the third line or whatever it was, um, which kind of just sucked. Yeah. I was sat in one section there. I don't know what it was called. The money section, it was like 35 minutes my um, my watch was stopped for. Oh, I no. just sat there waiting my turn. But I think I still made it to CP18. I think I got time barred, so I was you know, kind of happy with that. Yeah, that's, guess, not, really, but. that's not too bad for a start like that. Yeah, no, nah, definitely. But I'd, I'd love to, the goal to go back is to, if you can get on the front line, like I reckon if I could get on the first line and get some clear wind, there's the only thing stopping me from getting to the end is me type thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, you got no one else to blame if you're up the point here, no? That's exactly right. And I can handle blame on myself. I just take my other people get my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about Romaniacs in 2019? How would you go there? Uh, oh, it wasn't so bad. Um, everyone knows that story that I lost my bike down a river. Bit of a, a silly mistake on my part, but um, really good. So day one was really good for me. I, I, did, I had a crap prologue because I had a, believe it or not, there was a deaf guy racing in the gold class, which no one knew. And um, he was one number in front of me in prologue, and he crashed in some rocks. And as I went to go past him, he basically walked into me, and obviously I went off, but no one knew that he was deaf and had no idea that any of us were around him. So wow. can't really blame him for that, but... Um, so I had a pretty horrid prologue, um, which started me a fair way back. I wouldn't even know where I started. I think it would have been close to 30th. But, um, yeah, I had a really good first day. I made up, a, like, a lot of time and um, uh, got a really good time for the day, which was pretty happy with that. And um, day two, that was a, wild, was a wild day. I think we're going for seven hours and 20 minutes before I even got to the service point. Wow. Um because it, there was, we got to a section called No Way Out, and you could see the clouds. It just started pissing down rain, and obviously there was no way out. Um, so we, we took an hour, hour and a half or something to go basically 100 metres up a hill, mm. um, which spent us all. And then the rain eased, got to the service point, and just as I was about to leave the service point, it was, it was kind of weird because the service point was three quarters of the way through the track for the day, and then the second half of the day, was just basically common trail to the finish line. Right. I think there was one or two gold sections, but yeah, so I, I kept going along. It was raining and raining and raining so hard, and I had um, a lightning bolt. I don't know how close it would have been, but I fell over. I was in an open paddock and just clapped, and I just was that shocked I fell over. Um, got up from that, and then um, got would have been the last. There was like one gold section, and we went over, went over a bridge over a little, just a little trickling river or creek. Or, Creek or whatever it was got up through that and got down the next section. I seen you could see the river would, had gone up, and I I was like, oh, it doesn't look so deep. So I um, I did a U bolt and just got a bit of a run up to try and hop it. But and um, what I didn't realise there was a bridge there. It was like basically the creek was a big G out that had 
no sides on it. So as I've tried to jump it, it looked like it was knee deep to me, but it was actually about as deep as my bike. So as I've hit the other side, come up a little bit short on the bank, I just got sucked into the river. Um, yeah, got, got dragged God knows how far down there and got beached on some rocks and I was like, oh, I'm sweet. Anyway, my bike got away and I got to the point where I was like, shit, this is actually serious. Like I'm getting washed down a river. Like it didn't really click and then and I couldn't hang on to the bike anymore. I was just like wrecked up going just casually watched it float on down by the river and sat on the rocks until I think it was um, Suff Seller from Israel come down the road and um, and give me a basically I jumped to his hand and he dragged me out of the river and then we just sat there until someone come along trying to figure out where the hell my bike was and um, yeah lucky you didn't, didn't die mate wearing all your bike gear your boots and your helmet and that yeah well at the time you don't really think about it about it like it's doing what we do we're always in i guess messed up situations but it didn't really occur to me that i was in that much danger until i guess to the point where i was like shit like i was i was like sucking in water and stuff like i was getting bob and i'm like wait this is pretty bad like, how'd you get your bike back um well about an hour later because it was obviously flash flood because over there as you know in romania it just randomly rains and yeah. no one knows why but um about an hour later the, the river come down to probably waist deep and we just walked along the riverbanks and sure enough, we could just see the, um, I had like fluoro yellow strips on the top of my seat and, um, yeah, looking, and go, oh shit, there's a seat. So, um, Shane, uh, the guy that I was, I was living with, he actually come over and rain it helped me. He like idiot, which is a mad man, but he, he just casually crawled into this river and tied a rope around the back wheel and we dragged it out and we thought, oh, it's sweet, sweet. And we stood it up on the road and went, she's cooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do that when you leave, leave them in there for an hour or so underwater. Oh, yeah, but just like the, you don't realise how fast the water or running the rocks, like everything was just bent on it or ground down. Like it ground half an inch off the handlebar. There was like the, one of the foot, foot pegs was nearly completely gone. The, like the, the wheel nuts were wrecked. The, the subframe was broken. The radiators were bent. The handlebars were bent like you wouldn't believe. Um, yeah, like it ripped the front guard off. It was just... Yeah. So it was actually proper wrecked. It wasn't just ingesting water to yeah, trash the bike then. Oh, no, God, no. Like, literally, if it only just had water in it, I would have got up the next day and rode it. No problem at all. Which yeah. we, we still tried, believe it or not. So we took it back to um, the guys at Top Cross, and they worked on it for God knows how many hours um, trying to straighten it up. And, like, it was bad. Like, from what I know, I was asleep, but my brother and Shane kept um, going back and forth helping and they were literally using pry bars and crowbars and shit to try and straighten the thing out. And um, it just got to the point where they, they got it going. I think it would have been about 2 o'clock in the morning. They got it started and riding it, but it was just, yeah, it it was cooked. Like, the electronics were cooking. It was missing. The fan didn't work anymore. And as you know, like, the gold class over there, the, you're not running with the fan. You're not going to make it. No exactly, no, exactly right. Yeah, it's pretty tough terrain. So, yeah, so we sort of just sat down and... Um, we're like, it's, it's not worth it. Like, even if I try and ride, I'm going to make it an hour in and be stuck somewhere. So there's no point. <laughs> yeah. What, who, who went over to Romania with you or when you, when you went racing over through Europe? I think Ben McNulty went over there to help you out as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So Ben McNulty, 6HD, everyone would um, know him by. He actually come over with me, basically my bitch, which was, it was really good because it's just nice to have someone over there at the races that spoke English and um, I need this, I need that. Can you run and do this? Uh, kind of it made it easier i guess yeah um yeah that and then so he basically did lagares Erzberg, hispania with me we did basically them two together just me and him 
full private privateer. <laughs> and then for Romania, basically we we obviously I've done Romania X a few times now. We knew that it was messed up, and trying to do the gold class is going to be bad. So my um, Shane, the guy I was living with, um, I don't know if you know Gary Player. He's done Romania X a few times as a Queenslander. I don't know him so, personally, but his name rings a bell. Yeah, so he's he's a, a pom um, from England, and Shane's his brother. So Shane lives in Spain now. Um, which that's where I was, I was staying over there. And, uh, yeah, so he come over to basically rope me up hills and my brother and um, Benny, my girlfriend, she come over as well. So she was, she was basically my counsellor and chef. And then um, Ben was the, the guy that kept his head together and organised the paperwork and where we had to be and what time and when I was starting and GPSs and, and all that stuff. And then my brother and Shane were basically the brawl and they were there to, Drag me up stuff that was unreliable. <laughs> As if Ben didn't have enough while you were racing Lagares, I was constantly messaging him, and messaging him, and uh, getting getting updates. He was he was pretty good that way. He <laughs> he kept me updated as to where you were and what section and what checkpoint you were doing and how you're going and how you're feeling. So that kept that kept me up. That was good to have have him there. Oh yeah, and he's nuts. Like technology wise, he is a guru. Like he can be doing eight things at once on his phone. I swear to God, like. While he was over there with me, he was still working from, because obviously with his 6HD stuff, like uh, editing, and um, he runs a, a hydraulic hose fitting business for his old man, so he was doing that from overseas still. So in between helping me, doing that, talking to you, he was still doing all his work and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, he's a gizmo. The ultimate multitasker. Yeah, we always just joke he's watching porn all the time, but I'm sure he's doing something else. <laughs> uh, Expedia, mate, I forgot about that. What did you think of that race? That, that was probably my favourite race. That was a lot of fun. Um, definitely, uh, hardness-wise, it, it was as hard as Ligares minus the water. So, obviously, if Hexpania had rain on the, the Lost Road the last day, it was canned. You could not ride it. Like, it was that hard. Wow. Um, but, yeah, with toughness-wise, it and Ligares and me were, like, pretty similar. But, obviously, Hexpania was dry as a bone. So, yeah, it, it was pretty it's pretty nuts, like... Um, yeah, I think the main the main race which you got to qualify. I don't know how many. I think it's like the top forty um, in the pro class, top ten in the expert, and I think top three in the. Oh, they're not they're not expert. They have got weird names like knights and squires and some crap. I don't yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's not many people do. The, there's only I think fifty people do the the last day you got to qualify for. But that track's like legit. You don't you don't want to ride that unless you you know you you're really into it and you really wanted to ride it like it was. You know, you, you sneezed in the wrong spot and you're going for a nice little, you know, 50-metre fall into water, so. Yeah, wow. Um, another race that just popped into my head that I don't know if you're interested in doing or not, whether you plan to do it. What, I think it's is it six-day dirty job or dirty job six-day? Okay. Yeah, you see a bit about that on social media, to be honest. I haven't really looked into it much, like... Some, pe- um, some people I know who have done it a few times, they've, it's kind of like Romaniacs, they've said, um, but it's a lot easier. They said it's re- the yep. days aren't as long, the day, but they're more in, it's more enjoyable. But I think last year, maybe the year before, they've stepped it up a bit and they are making it progressively harder. So that might be, I think it's in Bulgaria, I think it is from memory. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be something cool. But the problem uh, in my position is so. Wherever Eurotech goes, I go. So, for instance, obviously the Wes, and they do a few other rounds. But if um, if I was to want to do one of those, I guess off the radar smaller rounds, then I'd have to try and get my bike there somehow. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of 
I guess for me, it's kind of unless Eurotech's going there, then I'm not. No, fair but, enough. Yeah. What What about Cedar Sky? Oh, I'd love to do that, but it's just always that time of the year when you just come back from doing events over there. You're completely broke. Your credit cards weighs a ton. Um, yeah, but no, definitely. Like if if the opportunity arose for me, I guess not this year screwed, but next year or. Beyond, definitely, 110% love to do Cedar Sky. I've got a contact over there, mate. I'll give them a shout and see if we can organise something. If it, if it works out, it works out. If not, well, we can only give it a try, eh? Yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty sure my, um, Mark mentioned something about going to Cedar Sky, so I can get there. No reason why I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, sponsors, mate, who looks after you? Who helps you out? Um, I've been pretty, I guess, lucky. So I've got a lot of smaller sponsors, so... A big one for me is uh, my suspension guy, uh, Peter Hamilton. So, Pete's trackside. Uh, he's lucky. He runs his own suspension um, um, business out of the Sunshine Coast up here in Queensland. And parts-wise, everything. So, anything I need for the bike, whether it be any sort of parts, tyres, gear, that type of thing, he, he sorts it all for me. He looks after me with everything. Nice. Um, which is awesome. And, and, a, and a suspension like he's a guru with suspension he'd done um, all his training at race tech over in California and stuff so he uh, he just sort of he, he understands suspension like rather than just setting up what you think he goes what do you want and he'll do it yeah. and obviously and then if you put it in and don't like it then he's like well <laughs> right, we can change it but yeah so he's he's basically the biggest help I got um, I'm lucky this year that uh, um, Pod Knee Braces come on, on board which oh, is good. really awesome to have sort of a, a really big name sponsor um that that helps me out. Um, obviously, they're a, a must in hard enduro knee braces. Yep. Um, even even not not a plug for pod any form of knee braces. <laughs> Everyone should wear knee braces. Yeah, not nothing like having your kneecap hanging off the side or a, a torn ACL knee braces. Oh no, definitely. I've actually uh, dislocated my kneecap once before in knee braces. It was that bad of a crash, and um, I'm in a fairly good private health fund. I still four and a half thousand dollars out of pocket for that one. So wow. Buy knee braces, kids. Yeah. At Oztech uh, Engineering, they help you out? Yeah, so they're um, where I work, the, the company I work for, they're our engineering companies that do all our engineering stuff. And um, Ty, Ty and his crew there are great. Like, they uh, race speedway cars and stuff, and they just think what I do is kind of awesome and crazy. So um, he helps any way he can. Uh, I guess he is a good thing for me is like we can all get these product sponsors to give us stuff that. At, at the end of the day, you know it's like when you go to these events, you just you need money, you need stuff paid for. Um, and and Oztech Engineering is a massive one for me. Like I couldn't have done couldn't have done anything I did overseas last year without them guys behind me. So oh, that's nice, and yeah, well, well done them for supporting them. Yeah, that's great. Um, I noticed you're wearing Focus X riding gear now as well. Are they they coming as a sponsor or just helping you out with some gear? Are they? No, so they're they're really good. So they're a pretty major sponsor for me as well. Um, they're a small US based company. Um, which is obviously trying to break into the big market, and um, they approached me the end of last last year, and I said would I be interested in working with them, and I was like, yeah, well, why not? I love sort of working with small guys, and they're they're great. Like the they're a family run business. Um, their gear is really high standard. Like, um, I was really surprised. Like, obviously, we all just go online or buy our gear from and um, companies, and you know what it's like doing what you do. We we destroy gear and I'm running one set of gear now I think I've been running shit just before Christmas and yeah. um 
I've just started. I, I fell off a, a, a bit of a cliff the other weekend and just tore the pants, which is which is awesome because normally I, I like not even kidding. The knees, I'll wear the knees out in pants in two rides. Especially wearing right. knee braces. I mean, why knee braces are bloody fantastic, but they're they're hard on your pants when you're gripping the bike, aren't they? Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the good thing with these guys is we all see our graphics companies do um, the logos for the back of your jerseys. They do custom pre-orders, so rather than have, have an iron-on um, decal on the back of your jersey, it's actually in the jersey. Yeah, so, it's, um, they give you the option to put sponsors and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's oh, really good. Perfect. So, sublimation printing, it never wears out. It's yeah, Like you say, it's actually in, in the material when it's made, so that's that's really good. I've seen more and more people wearing Focus X riding gear on the internet, actually, so they must be getting a good good reputation built up. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's obviously harder for them being in the U.S. and me being in Australia, uh, um, but in an, I know in the U.S. that it's really taking off, so um, before too long, Long, hopefully we can sort something out. We'll actually have an Australian distributor, which would be um, um, make it a lot easier for everyone else too. So yeah, it'd be really good. Uh, exactly. All right, mate. Well, I think we've pretty much covered anything. Is there anything you want to add to it? Have you got any more sponsors that you haven't thought of immediately? No, not really. I guess your mum and dad are a big. Everyone knows as, um, as juniors growing up, you can't go anywhere without your parents. And I'm sort of lucky that I come from a racing family, and my parents back me 200 percent. You can be the best rider in the world and have a budget, but if you don't have family to support you when you're a youngster, you're not going anywhere. Oh, and that's the thing. Like, even any problem in life, like riding and stuff, even when you had a bad day, there's always your mum and dad to go to to tell you, no, nah, it's going to be all right and, and calm your hell down. Like, as much as you want to think they're wrong a lot of the time, they're not, and they have a lot of life lessons they've learned that they can teach you without you having to figure out the hard way. So, yeah, that. <laughs> no, that's um, it, I guess mate. Benny. She puts up with mate way more than she should. Uh, yeah, like it's it's hard for anyone in our situation. Both of us race and travel, and yeah, now she's got her head screwed on, and and I, I couldn't do what I do without her. I guess in yeah. the background doing all the stuff that I don't want to do. Good on you, Adam, and all the best for the racing future. Hopefully, this virus buggers off, and we can all get back to doing what we love. And thanks very much for your time. No, not a problem. Really, really happy to talk to you. Oh, good, mate. Uh, congratulations on taking out first place in gold at the Tenterfield Terror. Thank you. Good on you, mate. We'll talk to you later, Adam. All right. See you, mate.